Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. I am now in Luke chapter 24. I'm going to cover verses 44 through 49. There are no other parallel passages. The topic is Jesus, having come back to Jerusalem after his resurrection appearances in Galilee, he comes back to tell the disciples to wait for the promise of the Father, the falling of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Now, we have skipped. In our last audio, we talked about Jesus appearing to his disciples in Jerusalem on Sunday evening, and then Luke skips all of his Galilean appearances, but Jesus goes back up to Galilee, and, well, actually, uh, Luke uh, uh, skipped Jesus' second Sunday night appearance, the, the eight days after the resurrection Sunday night when Thomas, Doubting Thomas believed, and then Luke skipped the appearance of Jesus to the seven disciples at the Sea of Galilee with the miraculous draft of fishes, and then Jesus appeared to 500 people on the mountain in Galilee and gave the Great Commission. All of that was skipped by Luke, and now Jesus is back in Jerusalem here in verse 44. So we'll pick it up with verses 44 and 45, Luke chapter 24. Then he told them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. Now, there are no parallel passages in the Synoptic Gospels or in John. However, there is a relevant passage in Acts 1, 3-4, which was also written by Luke, which says this, After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. That's all the Galilean stuff that he did before he came back to Jerusalem. When he was together with them, and that's back in Jerusalem, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. The Father's promise, of course, being the Holy Spirit falling on them on the day of Pentecost. This, he said, is what you heard from me. Now, when he says everything written about the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, all of these things that Jesus talked about must be fulfilled, where are they fulfilled? Well, first of all, what does the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms refer to? It refers to the whole of the Old Testament. The Messiah was foretold in the whole Old Testament. This was the typical way law... Uh, the law, the prophets, and the writings are the typical way to refer to the Old Testament. Here, Psalms is used instead of writings because Psalms was the first book of the writings. So basically, we're talking about the Hebrew Scriptures here. So everything written about Jesus in the Hebrew Scriptures must be fulfilled. Now, note how Jesus used the Scriptures to teach his disciples. Even though he was physically in their presence, he referred back to the Scriptures to teach them. His application point here, this is a good word for the good pietist of American Christianity, who know John 3.16 and just about nothing else. Learn the Bible, folks. It will bless you. Jesus taught his disciples using the Scriptures, even though he was physically present with them in the flesh. Note how the Scriptures were a dead letter without Jesus there to explain. This is Adam Clark. This This addresses the other problem of using the Scriptures without the life of the Spirit. It takes both the written word and the living word to understand. So let's summarize that. You need the scriptures. Don't do without the scriptures. That's one error. The other error is to have the scriptures and leave out the life of Jesus. Leave out Jesus. It takes Jesus and the scriptures to understand the scriptures. And this is what happened here. Now, Jesus, in verse 45, says that Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Now, how did he do that? He did it by explaining the Old Testament scriptures. He did this to Cleopas and his friend on the road to Emmaus, Luke chapter 24, verse 27. Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning for himself and all the scriptures. So you see, Jesus also explained the events of the resurrection to two disciples using the scriptures. He was not a pietist like especially Southern American Christians are. Now, 
in verse 44, it says, Jesus said, these are my words. Now, what he means there, according to John Gill, is these are these this is the substance, sense, and meaning of Jesus' teaching to them. What follows is not anywhere expressed in so many words. So many words that Jesus spoke to you, to you while I was still with you. You can't go back and pick out a particular passage where Jesus spoke about these things coming out of Moses' prophets and the Psalms. However, we know that he taught the disciples. He taught them that he was going to fulfill the Old Testament. And so we're going to look at how Jesus fulfilled Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, and we can assume that that's how he taught them during his ministry. Now, notice that even though they had been taught all through the ministry about what was going to happen because of the Old Testament, they still didn't understand Resurrection Sunday afternoon. After the resurrection, they still didn't understand. John 20, verse 9 says this, For they still did not understand the Scripture, that he must rise from the dead. That was, what, 33 days earlier? That, that was, uh, no, that was resurrection. That was about 40 days earlier, and that he's had another 40 days to teach him. Taught him up there in Galilee. Now he's back there in Jerusalem. He's still teaching them, trying to explain to them, this is, I'm fulfilling the Scripture, guys. You need to understand my suffering. You need to understand my death. You need to understand my resurrection. To show you previously that they didn't grasp what was said, I just quoted you from John 20. They didn't understand. This is all through the Gospels if you pick out these passages where the disciples just did not understand. Luke 18, 31 through 34. Then he took the twelve aside and told them, Listen, we are going up to Jerusalem. Everything that is written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. See, Jesus is, again, referring back to the Old Testament referring to the prophets. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles, Jesus continues, and he will be mocked, insulted, spit on. And after they flog him, they will kill him, and he will rise on the third day. So Jesus had clearly explained to them what was going to happen, but they still didn't understand. It was just too big for them to grasp. Somebody dying and coming back from the dead and fulfilling Old Testament scriptures. Verse 34 of Luke 18 says, They understood none of these things. They just didn't understand. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. And there are a lot of other verses that say the same similar thing. The disciples did not understand the death, resurrection, death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. Luke 24:46 through 47, we continue. He, Jesus, also said to them, his disciples, This is what is written. The Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead the third day. And repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. Now, there are no parallel passages in the Synoptic Gospels or in John, but Acts chapter 1, 5 through 8, shows how this was fulfilled, how it came to pass. I'll read it. Acts 1, verses, starting with verse 5. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. This is, again, right here at the same, instant, at the same time. Jesus is back with his disciples in Jerusalem, and Luke picks up the story in Acts. And Jesus tells them, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And that's why he came back to Jerusalem right before his ascension to tell the disciples, you've got to go get baptized in the Holy Spirit. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus, is, he's taught them, he's explained to them, and then he says, okay, now you've got the knowledge, now you need the power. you got the word, now you need the spirit. Again, application point, it takes word and spirit. Too much word, you dry up. Too much spirit, you blow up. You have the word and the spirit together, you grow up. Now let's look and see how these events that Jesus talked about would be were fulfilled in the Old Testament, were predicted in the Old Testament. 
First of all, Jesus said the Messiah would suffer. Well, where does that say that in the Old Testament? Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from my deliverance from, from my words of groaning? Jesus suffered on the cross. Isaiah 53, 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised, and we didn't value him. So suffering was in the Old Testament. Jesus explained that to them, I'm sure, using those verses. The next thing that Jesus said was predicted in the Old Testament is that Jesus would rise from the dead the third day. Well, let's look at where the scriptures say that. Psalm 16, 9 through 11. Therefore, my heart is glad and my spirit rejoices. My body also rests securely. For you will not abandon me to Sheol, the grave. You will not allow your faithful one to see decay. You reveal the path of life to me in your presence is abundant joy in your right hand are eternal pleasures. Now, of course, that's David talking about how he's not going to be left. But, of course, David is a type of the Messiah, and so that scripture is fulfilled antitypically, if you will. Isaiah 53, 10 through 11, again, looking at scriptures predicting Jesus' resurrection. Isaiah 53, 10 and 11, verse 10. Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. When you make him a restitution offering, he will see his seed. He will prolong his days. Prolong his days, that means resurrect him. And by his hand, the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. He will see it out of his anguish, and he will be satisfied with his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many. That means get people saved, and he will carry their iniquities. So Jesus, Isaiah 53, verse 10 says, Jesus will prolong his days. And then, of course, Matthew 12, 40. This is a fulfillment here. For as Jonah was in the belly of the huge fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. Jesus used Jonah's story as a picture, as a type of what he was going to do to prove that he was going to be resurrected. So there you have the Old Testament Scriptures talking about resurrection. So we have the Old Testament Scriptures talking about suffering, talking about resurrection. One other thing that Jesus said the Old Testament Scriptures would predict was repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. Well, where does the Old Testament talk about repentance? Now, this is, I've collected a bunch of scriptures here, and it is quite surprising how often repentance is talked about. Well, first of all, let's show how it was fulfilled before we show how it was, how it was fulfilled in the New Testament before we show how it was predicted in the Old Testament. Fulfilled in the New Testament, Acts 5.31, God exalted this man to his right hand as ruler and savior to grant repentance to Israel, repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Acts 10.43, all the prophets testified about him that through his name everyone who believes in him will receive forgiveness of sins. Now notice how Luke says in Acts 10 that all the prophets, all the Old Testament prophets are testifying into the future about that Jesus is going to forgive, Jesus is going to come and bear the iniquity of us all. And so this fits right in with the theme that Jesus said, the prophets testified about me that I'm going to proclaim forgiveness of sin to all the nations. Acts 13, verse 38. Therefore let it be known to you, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed to you. So Paul is, is fulfilling that Old Testament promise that, promise that Jesus would forgive people's sins. Acts 26, 18. To open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that by faith in me they may receive forgiveness of sins and a share among those who are sanctified. All right, now those are all the verses that show the fulfillment of the preaching of the forgiveness of sins, the proclaiming of the forgiveness of sins. Now let's see where this was prophesied in the Old Testament, just like Jesus said in our verse at hand. Daniel 9, 9, excuse me, Psalm 32, verse 1. How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. 
Daniel 9, 9, compassion and forgiveness belong to the Lord our God, though we have rebelled against him. Isaiah 9, 6, for a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Now, peace, of course, means peace between God and man, which means forgiveness of sins. Isaiah 52, 7, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the herald who proclaims peace, who brings news of good things, who proclaims salvation. There's peace and salvation. Peace meaning, of course, peace with God. Salvation means you're delivered from the punishment that God would give if your sins had not been forgiven. Isaiah 53, 5, but he was pierced because of our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. There's forgiveness of sins in the Old Testament. Next verse, Isaiah 53, 6. We all went astray like sheep. We have all turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. He suffered for us to forgive us for our sins. Isaiah 59, 20. The Redeemer will come to Zion. A Redeemer is someone who buys you out of slavery, as out of slavery to sin. The Redeemer will come to Zion and to those in Jacob who turn from transgression. This is the Lord's declaration. So we turn from transgression. We're forgiven from it, for, from, tra from our transgressions. Jeremiah 31, verse 34, No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least to the greatest of them. This is the Lord's declaration, for I will forgive their wrongdoing and never again remember their sin. I will forgive their wrongdoing and never again remember their sin. This is the Old Testament, folks, predicted what was going to happen when the Messiah came. Not a political kingdom, not a bunch of military, not a bunch of rebellion, not a bunch of glory, but forgiveness for sin. Daniel 9:24. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people in your holy city to bring the rebellion to an end, to put a stop to sin, to wipe away iniquity. This is the famous 70 weeks prophecy in Daniel. Daniel, and one of the major aspects of that prophecy was that Jesus is going to come to wipe away iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness. Mark Micah 7:18. Who is a God like you, removing iniquity? removing iniquity and passing over rebellion for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not hold on to his anger forever because he delights in faithful love. Zechariah 13.1 On that day a fountain will be opened for the house of David and for the residents of Jerusalem to wash away sin and impurity. Of course, the fountain is referring to Jesus' blood flowing from his side. What was the purpose of that? To wash away sin and iniquity, Zechariah says in verse 1 of chapter 13. So there... You see, the Old Testament proclaims loudly that the Messiah was going to wipe away transgressions and sin. And Jesus is trying to tell his disciples that here, right before his ascension in Jerusalem. Now, this repentance of forgiveness of sins that will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, as Jesus is telling his disciples, it was to begin at Jerusalem, Luke 24, verse 47. It was to begin at Jerusalem. Well, let's read Acts 1.8 show how that was fulfilled. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So the idea is the gospel witness started in Jerusalem to the Jews in, in all Judea, and then it went to Samaria, which is, not quite, of course, not Jewish, right to the north of Jerusalem, and to the ends of the earth, that's all the way to the Gentiles, as it did as the gospel went through Cornelius, the, who's the first major Gentile that got saved. I think he was the first, maybe not. Acts 8, I guess the Ethiopian eunuch was saved. But at any rate, Acts 8, Acts 10, the gospel spreads all over the earth. In Acts 13, the, the first missionary journey. So Jesus told them this. He told them the gospel would begin at Jerusalem and, and 
and they would receive power from on high, and just as he predicted, it happened. Now, if you figure that Jesus' forgiveness can extend to the city that murdered him, because he said that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, he's still saving people out of that beastly, rabbinic land beast of Revelation, the city of Jerusalem that murdered him and murdered the prophets, and he blasted Jerusalem, of course, with all the woes he pronounced on them, and, and Luke, Mark, at Matthew chapter 23, he blasted Jerusalem, and yet he still says, I want, I've got witnesses in Jerusalem. I want, I want people saved out of that mess. So if Jesus can forgive people in Jerusalem, he can forgive people in all other places in the world, as Adam Clark said. Now, when Jesus said beginning in Jerusalem, this fits with the early apostolic practice of preaching the gospel to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. We'll see some scriptures that show that. Romans 1.16, Paul says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is God's powerful salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. So the Jews had first shot at it. Not that they took advantage of their first shot, but they did have first shot at it. Acts 13.46, Then Paul and Barnabas boldly said, It was necessary that God's message be spoken to you first. They're speaking to Jews. But since you rejected and consider yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. So you see, the apostles did that. They started with the Jews, went to those synagogues. When the Jews in the synagogues threw them out and rejected their gospel, then they turned to the Gentiles. Isaiah 2.3 And many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us about his ways so that we may walk in his paths. For instructions will go out of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So Jerusalem was the, the center, kind of like the sun and the rays from the sun went out from the center and got the gospel word went all over the world. Jesus, when he first started out with his uh, appointing his, his disciples, Matthew 10, 6, he said, instead, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And that was the general pattern. He, he also went to Syrophoenicia and to the, the capitalist Gentile areas, but he mainly told his disciples to focus on Israel first, then they were going to worry about the Gentiles. Now let's go to... Chapter four, Luke chapter 24, verses 48 through 49. You, the disciples, Jesus continues to talk to the disciples. You are witnesses of these things, witnesses of all the things that happened in Jesus' life, including the death and resurrection. And look, I am sending you what my Father promised. In other words, you're witnesses, so you go tell, you go tell people what you witnessed. I am sending you what my Father promised, the promise of the Father. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. Of course, that's referring to Pentecost. We've already read the verse in Acts chapter 1, 5 through 8, where Luke elaborates on that and says, you're going to be baptized with the Spirit from on high. Now, this promise of the Father, promise of the Father, could mean the promise which proceeds from the Father or the promise which was made by the Father. If we read John 15, 26, where Jesus is referring to the same Pentecostal experience, John 15, 26, Jesus says this, When the Counselor comes, that's the Holy Spirit, the one I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. That sounds like it answers that old filioque controversy that divided the Catholic from the Orthodox Church. I think the, the Western Catholic Church is right about that. The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and he proceeds from the Son, filioque and the Son. But at any rate, the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father because it says, the one I will send to you from the Father. So this verse in John 15 says, I will send you the Holy Spirit, and this Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father. There's Jesus sending the Holy Spirit. There's the Father sending the Holy Spirit. There's Filioque, the Father and the Son. So I don't know how the Easterners get away with what they get away with there. But anyway, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father. So that sounds like the promise of the Father is the promise who 
the Holy Spirit who proceeds from the Father rather than the promise made by the Father. Minor point, but there you have it. And so now we're set up. Jesus has finished teaching his disciples about what they are supposed to do when he is ascended. And now he's going to ascend in the next couple of verses. Next four verses. I'll do that in the next audio. I hope you enjoyed this one. 